This episode of Z Prime on the Grid is brought to you by Aviva, who will be attending and sponsoring our Energy Thought Summit in Austin, Texas, April 15th through 18th. Find out more information, including our current speaker lineup, at ets19.co. That's ets19.co. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is research analyst Aaron Hardick. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing well, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, excited to talk to our guest today. He is currently an executive consultant at Weissner and the former director of maintenance and diagnostics at Duke Energy, Bernie Cook. How are you doing today, Bernie? Doing great, Dylan. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Absolutely. And uh, we're very excited to talk to you because of uh, your work at your work at Duke and currently in M&D. Can you tell us a little bit about your work as a consultant and your, your history in uh, monitoring and IIoT? Sure. Uh, my background includes 35 years working in the power industry with a kind of a unique position for implementing new process and technologies to improve operations and maintenance. And since retirement, I've spent the last three years providing executive consulting to help other utilities understand the value and learn how to adopt these new technologies. But while working, you know, for the power utilities, I worked in the plants for 20 years in the last 15 years, you know, in a corporate leadership role directing new process and technology advancements. I was fortunate enough to be involved in a EPRI multi-million dollar project to, to automate a large power plant. Actually, that project lasted 12 years and involved numerous new technologies from controls to simulators to expert systems and predictive maintenance technologies. You know, that engagement allowed me to establish a unique career working with EPRI and other utilities and vendors piloting and pushing the boundaries of new technologies. You know, I worked for some you know, really uh, visionary executives that saw the value in investing in new technologies and, and gave us a lot of opportunities to, to do new things. So starting in the early 90s, we developed a vision of an O&M expert system that could integrate multiple technologies for remote equipment health analysis. You know, we were a little bit early on the technology. It wasn't quite ready. So in the early 2000s, uh, we developed the, the fleet-wide M&D monitoring and diagnostic center concept. And we utilized the new advanced pattern recognition and other equipment condition reporting tools, kind of the central technology to integrate data. Uh, this, this technology did an excellent job of uh, utilizing existing data to identify equipment anomalies and, and open the door for more advanced center and, and technology solutions. Why are you such a big proponent of, of M&D? What role do you see it uh, playing in, in the current utility environment? I think there are a lot of challenges today with uh, with utilities. You know, there's a lot of uh, cycling units. You know, there's re reduction in uh, staff. You know, they're cutting cost. So, you know, without new technology innovations, the future for power utility generation is extremely challenged. So, uh, you know, I think these new technologies, along with some streamlined, streamlined equipment reliability processes and uh, you know, changes to optimize workforce, you know, is, is essential for survival for, 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 I think I would expect for other industries as well as uh, power generation. 
really like this idea of using M&D for optimizing the workforce. I think sometimes that can go under the radar. A lot of the times in power plants, what I've found over the past year and a half of visiting a lot of large generation plants across a lot of different generation types is that some of these processes that they're executing there are not as efficient as they could could be. And monitoring and, and diagnostics can give some of these people that run these plants more efficient ways to execute kind of the same task, but giving them extra information to both create efficiencies and eliminate human errors is where M&D can play a very transformational role. And I think utilities are starting to realize that it's more so thinking about apply it to your particular situation where in the business our processes are or things maybe not running as efficiently and, and maybe you can start there. But I think sometimes utilities can get a little overwhelmed on where to start. They are recognizing that it is beneficial, but struggling on, on really where to get their feet on the ground with, with this type of thing. Yeah, I agree. That's uh, it's exactly the scenario. Uh, you know, one example is, you know, one of the plants that I spent a lot of years as was a flagship coal plant that had over 300 people. You know, it was 2,400 megawatt coal plant down to 150 people now, you know, with the still the same expectation is to stay reliable, you know, so you've got people wearing multiple hats, uh, you know, without technology and use of, uh, you know, streamlined processes and better ways to, you know, position people to be successful, you know, you know, it's not going to survive. So it's essentially now, you know, a, you know, pretty survival of, uh, you know, of the workforce and, and of the plant, you know, so it's not a choice anymore for technology. It's an essential thing we've got to implement, you know, to enable these plants to, you know, function and be reliable and cost effective. I think you both bring up great points there about what M&D can do, but utilities tend to be apprehensive about wide scale adoption of basically anything. So, I mean, a lot of times it takes some sort of aha moment to get them on board and in your experience that was true because uh that there was something at duke that happened can you tell us a little bit about that yeah uh, yes in 2010 uh duke or progress energy at that time we did have a catastrophic explosion and transformer fire at a large plant that caused major damage to two transformers and two turbines it turned into a 60 million dollar event you know and at that time you know with all of our process and technology advancements our M&D Center and ER programs were considered one of the best. You know, we had visitors coming worldwide to see us, you know, how we had implemented our programs. So obviously, you know, with the explosion, the executives were, you know, were very upset and concerned about the failure and challenged to us, you know, how could we have missed, you know, that event? You know, so we were expected to do a gap analysis and looking at the failure modes and what we're able to monitor with existing sensors and models. You know, and what we and what we realized was we didn't have the diagnostic sensors and we didn't have the advanced models to detect, you know, essential failure modes on critical equipment. So, you know, in, in addition, we realized we were not able to meet our manual predictive maintenance data collection expectations, you know, due to staff and, and loss of expertise. So there's a huge gap, you know, in, in reliability. And when presented that to leadership, you know, they asked for a solution. And we developed a large project proposal you know, with aggressive recommendations, 
to add new sensors to critical equipment to improve our technical capability to reduce catastrophic failures and to better, you know, optimize our skilled workforce. So we had high-level sponsorship. You know, it's essential for these large projects. Our chief operating officer was our greatest sponsor. You know, to move the project forward, and uh, you know, we installed 33,000 sensors on 10,000 assets. You know, we're 200 power units in 10, six years. You know, the MD center went from 3,000 models to 12,000 models, and significantly enhanced the center's ability to detect critical equipment issues. You know, and even with the large investment, the project paid for itself in, in less than three years. Bernie, can you kind of talk about around this time what other utilities were doing around this this space? Where, as far as you're aware, you know, were other utilities looking at implementing something like this? Was this a problem that was on other people's radar, or were you guys kind of seeing at a it as, okay, this is something that happened to us, but it's very likely it will happen to other utilities in the near future if it hasn't already. And we would like to find a way to be more proactive if this were, if this issue were to arise in the future. What were other people doing and were you guys kind of pioneering this? Well, I think at the time I was the chairman of the EPRI committee you know the, the equipment reliability committee so you know there were a lot of discussions with other utilities uh, others with epri you know we knew that we had some gaps you know we knew that uh, our m and centers were limited you know and you know been running those since 2004 and we knew we didn't have the sensors to detect so th- this wasn't a surprise and you know we were hoping you know that we could between our manual efforts you know, in their center efforts, we could, you know, stay ahead of the curve, you know, so, but we knew it was a gap, both, you know, internally there at Progress Energy and with others at other utilities, you know, we just had, uh, you know, I guess you say the stars lined up, the holes in the cheese lined up to where, you know, we had an event and we had a very visionary uh, executive, you know, who saw the future, you know, and, and wanted to invest to make sure that that future happened. So, so, you know, I think others, dabbled in some things you know but certainly for us you know having you know sometimes good things come from bad things right so we had that major event which you know was the initiator of a of a larger project you know the the things that we wanted to do so it wasn't like we just woke up one day from this event and said hey wow we got to change we knew we knew we had some issues and this just helped us you know expedite you know what we thought needed to happen in the following years that makes sense. And, and the reason I wanted to ask, because now we're at this point where I think this is this is so important. We've seen this over the past year um, with damage to assets and knowing what your assets are doing and the potential for them to stop working is so critical for utilities. But how do you convince utilities to begin adoption of IoT asset monitoring if they haven't had this catastrophic, expensive event? To get them on the, to get them thinking about, or at least moving forward uh, with asset monitoring, how do you convince those utilities to do that? It sounds like you were in a situation where you were fortunate enough for the executive leadership to really, you know, be bought in and and passionate about the project. But I would imagine that's not always the case. Yeah, I think you know if you look at power generation today, you know, in 2010 and where it is today. You know, their challenges are much more difficult than even in 2010. Uh, they're actually being asked to do the impossible, which is drastically 
reduce O&M costs, you know, while sustaining, sustaining reliability, it kind of mandated to reduce costs, you know, to offset the impact of the renewable generation investments in smart grid technologies, uh, you know, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of pressure, you know, so the smart executives, you know, while making cuts are also looking for innovative ways, you know, with new processes and new technology to offset the challenges. You know, and they will spend capital dollars to reduce the O&M cost. You know, so they're looking for solutions. And, and too often, the high-level talk of IIoT and analytics is very confusing for them. And other than Duke Energy's efforts, there are you know very few successful examples. So even Duke is cutting cost, right? They're cutting drastically cutting. But you know, fortunately, you know they were ahead of the curve and they had the technologies installed to meet the challenges. So I think for the next five to 10 years, the new advanced technologies will become the essential approach for survival. And, uh, you know, vendors who can provide the right advanced but practical solutions that can be cost effectively implemented will be successful. So if they can go in and artic articulate correctly with these executives, these innovative executives, they're going to invest, you know, and we have experience working with several utility executives now who definitely see the, see the light and they see the opportunity. And we have some that don't, right? We have some that don't see. You know, and what's going to happen to them, unfortunately, is they're going to have that major failure, you know, and then they'll start looking. But I think there are some real pioneers out there now who want to continue to push this. So it's, you know, it's, it, again, the sales pitch is a little different than it was in 2010, right? I think people are eager for solutions if we can provide the right cost-effective ones. And, and who are some of those other pioneers? If, if you can talk about them or would like to talk about them, who are some of these other successful, uh, or where are some of these other successful use cases you're seeing around asset monitoring outside of Duke? Yeah, I mean, you know, the nuclear promise where they have to cut cost at 30%. So there's a huge effort going on with EPRI with a lot of nuclear utilities. We're working with several of them now. We're desperately trying to implement new technologies to reduce the expensive um, uh, equipment refurbishment that is all time-based. You know, they spend millions and millions every 18 months to tear completely good equipment down and rebuild it. So it's a, you know, it's certainly begging for an advanced technology solution. They know what they're trying to implement it. They have rigid processes and procedures that have to be changed. So the nuclear industry is very ripe to, to implement these, and uh, there's a quite a few nuclear utilities being being very aggressive. Ontario Power Generation is one, Exelon, uh, you know, Duke, others are trying to do this on the nuclear side. On the fossil side, there's a you know there's a Southern Company is doing some advanced implementations of component health dashboards. Uh, Louisville Gas and Electric is applying some advanced analytics. Uh, you know TVA. Uh, you know, there's quite a few utilities out there. NIPA has uh, mandated a, a very aggressive, you know, digital implemented structure for both transmission. And so there are some very successful, they're very, uh, I guess, uh, very good companies who are, you know, doing this from the, from the very top, you know, it's a top mandated, you know, expectation. And, and you got to have that top level sponsorship to make a major change like this. Now, I want to ask a question because I think this is really um, pretty much a high-level overview of the general problem associated with asset monitoring, and that is getting the right data, managing it, 
contextualizing it and having it all in, in pretty much one place where it's usable and accessible for the people that need it. Um, so that's kind of my question. Once you have all of the right data in place how, around your assets, how do you start to manage it and contextualize it in a, in a meaningful way? You know, I think the answer to that question really starts with the data architecture design up front. You know, the proper design will define the data communications, the management, the analytics, you know, the integration with other systems. Yeah, actually, most of the work I do now is you know, trying to leverage my experience at Duke, you know, to help utilities develop the right advanced technology strategy vision, right? And, and how it integrates with their equipment reliability programs. So it's a big challenge to design the right data architecture to deliver on the project objectives. You know, there's so many different technology options today that it's, it's really confusing. So we've developed a process to help utilities achieve their vision. You know, we start with working on building their functional requirements before we're even looking at the technology. Uh, defining those objectives is key in defining the right technical specifications and data network architecture. So, you know, one essential key to success is to have IT engagement, such as an IT architect, you know, early in the project. You know, as mentioned earlier for Duke, we added massive amounts of new data. Uh, so working together with IT, we designed a system to, to manage terabytes of waveform data, how you manage them with the decimation, with the feature extraction and integration. So once all these things come together, you know, then then all these things you ask make sense. You know, how do you manage it? Where does it go? You know, how does it integrate? Uh, but, you know, doing that without a plan and a data architecture design would be extremely complex or extremely difficult to, to you know, to manage. I uh, I have a question. When you say the right digital architecture, not to sort of you know give away some consulting for free, but like what 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 do you mean when you say the the right data architecture? What does that sort of look like on a macro level? Well, again, we start with those functional requirements. What are they trying to do? You know, so are they you know do they want to just increase you know some of the equipment anomaly detection? You know, do they want to do advanced data analytics, remote analytics? You know, are they trying to do, you know, data analytics at a higher level that integrates other technologies together to, you know, to uh, to be able to visualize and, you know, apply some other, you know, heavy analytics. So, so again, we, we look at that functional requirements. What are you trying to achieve, right? And then what is the data flow? And what does the network infrastructure need to be and the connectivity integration need to be to meet your, meet your objective? You know, you don't want to provide a, you know, a multi-million dollar solution, you know, when all they're looking for is, hey, I just want to, I just need to, you know, I just need to add a couple of sensors here so I can detect, uh, you know, some particular failure mode. So we, we try to help them think through the vision, you know, like, well, what is your end vision, end in mind? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, you don't want to over-design it, but you don't want to under-design it. And then they get, you know, get halfway down the road and they said, oh, well, I wish I'd have done that. You know, so you have, you have to think through the whole solution. And that's what we do. Before anybody we work with looks at any technology out there available, we sit down with them and we have go through a series of uh, kind of workshops with the key people to, to really define functionally what are you trying to achieve, you know, and then we go into the technical specification design. What do you think not enough people in the industry are doing but should be? Yeah, I mean, as mentioned before, you know, it's a challenging time with power generation, with the focus on the cutting cost. And it affects different people different ways, you know. So some are overwhelmed, they just hunker down and survive, or just don't see any sponsorship to encourage them to, to try new things. 
you know, others see challenging times to make things happen. Or they, if they're leaders, they encourage or excite others to be innovative. You know, so these are the pioneers we need to work with to push new boundaries. You know, we've got to identify those folks. You know, too often these people are not aware of what's available. They don't understand, you know, what they can do. I mean, I go to a ton of conferences and I think the whole IoT speak talk is confusing for your average power generation engineer. I think as vendors and consultants, you know, we have to do a better job of communication, communicating solutions, not complex technologies. You know, we need to give them a vision and a roadmap, you know, to get there. You know, we have to make this new advanced IoT technology seem achievable, you know, provide value-based examples for them to take their leadership. You know, mo most industries are followers. You know, I've seen, you know, in my career, I've seen several evolutions of technology and there's always a few fine pioneers that demonstrate success and then everybody else follows. You know, the manual predictive maintenance technology is one great example. So in the 90s, you know, I was out there promoting for my company to go buy handheld devices, you know, and you get the same resistance. You know, we don't need that. We, you know, we never had that before. Now you can't find a, a, an industry that doesn't do manual predictive maintenance technologies. So this is all the same thing. You know, this is a, a whole new wave of new condition monitoring technologies, you know, and, and it'll become normal. In five to 10 years from now, everybody will be doing this just like you're doing manual PDM. It just takes a while for that evolution and the vendors and the, and the companies to see it, but it'll be essential for their survival. So, you know, we've got to, you know, we've got to find those pioneers, you know, we've got to find those leading innovative executives and the right companies that can spend this the right way. You know, and this is going to move. To clarify, it sounds like what you're saying is is that it's uh, currently the implementation of these sorts of, of these sorts of plans is uh, it needs less convincing on the technology side and more on the you know on the top down planning side. Is is that accurate? Yeah, I think so, and maybe the vision, right? You know, I think people don't really understand what they can achieve with this you know it, it sounds like sensors it sounds like analytics you know we haven't been able to to change that technology talk to you know what is the really mission you're trying to accomplish which is to enhance your equipment health you know program you know and there's three things for improvement right there's technology there's people in this process right so we not only look at the technology we look at the equipment reliability processes you know and, and actually when we go through the process improvements then they seem to understand how the technology can achieve where they want to go. And then you talk about the people and the changes of, hey, you know, we work with one company that took all the predictive maintenance people out of their plants and only got a couple left, right? So without technology, you know, how are they going to be able to assess the plants? So if you look at the end in mind and the end vision and what you're trying to accomplish, then a lot of times, you know, that the technology makes more sense than if you're just talking about it up front and just saying, hey, there's this great new tool that can do this. So, you know, I think definitely, you know, where is it headed? You know, you know, what's, you know, you know it, it's it, people have to see that in vision, right? You know, and then how the technology fits in and how it changes their processes and, and the people all for the good. No, I'd like to add on to what Bernie was just saying, because it's also something, you know, that I've been seeing as well. A lot of the times, too, especially when it comes to the vision, there can be a disconnect between, and like Bernie just said, you have 
technology people and processes, um, a lot of the times it there can be a disconnect between the way that people will actually interact with the technology and hinder the technology's ability to achieve whatever the end goal or the objective is. So there is kind of, in, in some cases, um, I would say that executives or people who are making these decisions at the top maybe are unaware of some of the things they need to be taking into account when they're making big technology decisions, which is, you know, how is my workforce going to be interacting with this? How is the implementation going to go? If the implementation doesn't go well, what do I do now? And how do I move forward and start to kind of resolve this problem because I haven't solved the problem that I set out to solve in the first place. The other thing that I think is kind of a big mistake a lot of people, a lot of utilities are making is they may not even be solving the right problem sometimes. So maybe you have an inefficiency due to a bad process, but that could be uh, misidentified as an inefficiency due to uh, a technology not working the right way, when in reality, you're just doing an inefficient process. So solving that problem, that problem would not be solved by purchasing a new technology, that problem would be solved by re-engineering that business process. But sometimes making that differentiation can be very difficult for utilities. Um, and that can kind of cause challenges as well. So I think that's, um, I like, Bernie, that you said, you know, technology, people, and processes really are a part of this, um, are the three main components and thinking about how all those things, these three things work together, um, I think can severely impact a project, both negatively and, and positively. Yeah, yes, Aaron, that's excellent points. Uh, and what we see quite often now is, you know, these companies have made cuts, you know, they've made drastic changes in the people, right? But yet they're expecting the same results and expecting the, you know, the same reliability, you know, so we're brought in sometimes to fix the problem, right? You know, they've created this problem where there's no people to do the work anymore. So how do we back in and fix the processes and use the technologies to make it, you know, to make them function? So unfortunately, people are doing these things without a plan up front, you know, and it's kind of an urgent to fix it. So, uh, but you're dead on, you know, it's not just the technology tool, it's, it's, it's the whole process, it's the people piece of it too. I just also like to add uh, that, you know, on a very micro level, uh, one thing you can see sometimes is that if, uh, like you're talking about having that holistic plan is important because if you start just like plugging stuff in piecemeal, then you can end up with interoperability issues, which of course is a pet issue of mine. Another question I had uh, in regards to that is a lot of times when you talk to people at, you know, at conferences or in even in emails or whatever about this sort of long-term planning, they're like, well, yeah, it'll, it'll work out and it'll work out in the long run. So at some point it'll happen. But uh, is there a way to demonstrate like a short-term gain, a short-term ROI to sort of light the fire under people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good point, Dylan. I mean, we, we do a lot of small pilot works. Sometimes we do components. Sometimes we do a particular unit. You know, let's go do what we can there to improve. Let's demonstrate, the, you know, improvements that, you know, can do that from a process change or also from a technology change. So uh, a lot of times that's, 
the preferred approach, right? So a lot of these utilities, they don't want to invest, you know, a lot of money up front, you know, but they want to go invest in small pilot efforts to, to prove the capability. And, and with pilots, you also flush out a lot of things, right? You, you flush out, you know, how much does it cost? You know, how does it change my process? How does it, how do people engage with it? You know, so, you know, and you, and you learn a little bit more about change management because that's what we were just talking about before. You know, we come up with two plans for them. You know, we give them an implementation plan, but we also give them a change management plan. You know, so a lot of times through the pilots, we'll do both of those. We'll have a straw man implementation plan and we'll say, this is how it changes that plan, which can then be taken and used for a fleet implementation. So pilots are extremely effective in uh, educating and learning, you know, about how to implement uh, new technologies and processes. Just a nuts and bolts question. You know, I, I assume that you as a consultant are not doing them your, yourself, but do you go and find partners for the utilities or do you like, you're like, hey, I know I know that these people can offer you a pilot or you're like, hey, find someone that can do this pilot that you trust. What, what, what's the process on that? I don't know. You know, we do work with a lot of lot of vendors, you know, to you know, we connect customers to two vendors like Aviva, you know, they, they do some excellent work with a lot of amazing technologies. So, you know, when the solutions, you know, match up with a customer, you know, we connect that customer to two excellent partners to come in and, uh, you know, provide the technology solutions. I think it's so important. So Dylan, just to very high level summary of what he just said, essentially a lot of the times what they'll do is go to the utility and figure out what they need and then go find someone that can actually do what they need. Um, but I, that's actually a very important thing that a lot of utilities are, are starting to get their hands in is having consultants and outside parties come in and help them assess challenges um, and find solutions towards them. And I think this is actually one of the things that's going to be very transformational for the industry. Um, however, we always know that funding and budget, these can be issues, but continuing to have outside perspectives on how on solving challenges is what's going to move uh, the energy industry forward. Um, so I, I just wanted to add that in because I do think it is so paramount um, to what is going on right now to have outside perspectives on these challenges that keep coming up and coming up. Um, but people trying to solve them efficiently and effectively is, is so important. Absolutely. And I think there's just a simple numbers game. Uh, Bernie, I, I can't remember if you said it, but uh, how, like, how much when it all was said and done did that Transformer fire in 2010 cost Duke to clean up? Yeah, it was $60 million. And how much would it have cost to put a sensor on that unit? Yeah, yeah, you're talking, you know, less than a hundred grand. Right? There you go. Yeah. That seems like a pretty convincing argument to me. So you've learned a lot of lesson in your decades of work in this in this industry. Uh, so where you know where is all all this headed? Uh, what what do you see as the future, uh, the short term and long term future of M and D? Yeah, you know the. I think the future is exciting. You know, in my career, I've seen major evolutions of technologies that have you know, drastically improved ops and maintenance. I think that today's new advanced IO, IIoT or M&D technologies is enabling a, 
a new generation of automated equipment health monitoring that we never dreamed possible. You know, at WSC, you know, we define four levels of advanced M&D technology, you know, and, and we try to help people think through those steps, you know, and the first is M&D center concept, you know, it's where, you know, how do we apply applications to use existing data, right, to make the most of the existing data you have, you know, and level two is, you know, we've identified, you know, through failure mode analysis, what our gaps are, you know, and we go add new sensors new diagnostic sensors to, to do more advanced models. Level three is advanced diagnostics, you know, and I think there's a few good companies out now doing some diagnostic work, but, you know, still across the industry, we're pretty much dependent on anomaly detection and a, some expert, you know, analyzing the information, right, to make the diagnosis. So I think that advanced diagnostic level is where we see, I think, short term, you know, we'll see some great things. And then in the future, it'll be even better. And fourth is kind of the holy grail is you know, advanced prognostics. It's like predictions of failure. You know, when will it fail? You know, how long will it run? You know, what's the optimal time to plan for repairs? So I think that's a little further out, but there are a couple of companies really doing that. And then, so there's all this, you know, it's big data analytics. There's uh engineering-based solutions. So, you know, we're working with a lot of companies now who are, you know, trying to reach the level three and four. But what we see is most utilities are kind of still stuck at level one and playing with some things with level two and three, you know, and, you know, and I think, you know, long-term, once we really achieve the ability to implement these four levels of technology, you know, then you can essentially automate your asset management, you know, which is a utopia, right? You can develop dynamic component health dashboards that integrate all equipment health information and automate both short-term and long-time asset management. You get an exciting new level of automation when you're avoiding failures while getting full life out of your components before refurbishments. You know, you got equipment just like cars today that self-diagnose themselves and call the shop. You got, you'll have equipment self-diagnosing itself. You know, and its condition and scheduling its repairs and ordering parts and, you know, and packing up for, for crews. So the future for advanced IIoT and an MED technologies, I think, is really exciting. It makes me wish I was 20 years younger. You know, it's going to provide a lot of opportunities for customers, for vendors, and engineering careers. I don't think the future could be more exciting. Aaron. Uh, what uh, since we're about to start hitting convention season, what are you uh, going to be looking for uh, in the M and D field when you're going out and getting the hot scoops? <laughs> the hot scoops in M and D. I'm just really interested to see uh, how utilities are moving forward. Like Bernie said, a lot of them are in different places, kind of stuck in this first phase. Some are, you know, tinkering with the second and third phase. A lot of utilities I've been talking to, at least in the later half of this past year, we're still trying to figure out, you know, what is that baseline of data? And then what is out of the ordinary? And then how do you start to figure out what the anomaly is off of the baseline of data? So I know that that's what a lot of utilities have been working on. So I'm excited as we head into conference season, hopefully to catch up with them to see if there is any advancement in that area, if they're feeling like they have a better handle on what their data is telling them. So that's what I'll definitely be looking out for. I guess one more thing I'd like to add is uh, we do a lot of work for EPRI, which is Electric Power Research Institute. 
And I think some of the, the great work that's going on right now is actually continuous online monitoring component guidelines. So we're taking turbines, generators, transformers, pumps, motors, and we break it down to every failure mode possible, right? All the significant failure modes. You know, we look at the degradation mechanisms. You know, we look at the influencing factors. We look at the sensors that could detect those degradation mechanisms and how effective those sensors are in, in uh, you know, detecting the failures. So it essentially ends up with a, with a, with a guide for utilities on a turbine like if I'm going to add a sensor, you know, what's the most value-added sensor to add to to address the most failure modes? And we're also putting in advanced models. We do, uh, you know, if you do an APR, here's what you can do with your existing data. But if you install these sensors and you extract the complicated features that look at subsynchronous on a turbine, for example, this is what you need to add, and this is what those models need to be. And it's the number one downloaded document from EPRI. And we're doing about 30 of those on all the major components, you know, in a power plant. So uh, I think that's going to help people. They need something in their hand to say, you know, all you got to do, right? You know, this is what you need to put in to, to be successful. And if you can only spend X amount of money, then here's the most valuable thing to implement. So that's something that's coming out that's uh, for those utilities that are EPRI members that should help them move forward quickly. Certainly looking like bright future for M&D. Well, Bernie, I would like to thank you very much for coming on and talking about uh, this. I think we're, we're at a turning point in the industry right now in terms of digital transformation. Data obviously plays a huge role in it. And when it comes to the, the health of the assets, that's something that can't be forgotten. So uh, thanks for coming on and giving us the ins and outs of that. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And Aaron, thanks as always for being on and giving me the the insights to fill in the gaps in my energy oaf brain. Oh, you're welcome, Dylan. And as you mentioned, we are kind of heading into conference season. I typically attend conferences on D Prime's ETS's behalf. So if any of our listeners are interested in catching up or talking about any of the things we cover on our podcast at upcoming conferences, please reach out and let us know. We'd love to meet up with you and talk energy. Absolutely. Bring us to your events. We will write articles and probably record podcasts there. And also speaking of events, uh, we've got ETS 19 coming up. Our sponsor Viva is going to be there. If you're interested in attending ETS or finding out more, you can go to ETS19.co. That's ETS19.co. You can find our research and media at ETSinsights.com. You can find us on social media at D.Y. Lockwood, at Aaron underscore Hardick, and at Z Prime underscore research. Big thanks to Aviva for sponsoring this episode. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. Mm-hmm.